Hey, by the way, what did you rate uh, Thief last week? That was a four, right? Fluffy Kitten. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Pie Factory Podcast. An hour later, I found myself in Toledo. Toledo! Toledo! Yeah, and... um. Because it's the Pie Factory Podcast episode. Is it 65 this time, I think, is it? And this is your co-host, Sean in a Pan, coming from the city of brotherly love, Chicago, Illinois. And um, my co-host this week, as is for every episode of Pie Factory Podcast to this date, is... I am Jim. I take care of the... No, I don't. Yeah, this is Jim. I was going to say I'm... Coming to you from between the Dust Plains and Fox River Valleys, but I'm not actually. I'm because where I live, the Kankakee River merges with the Dust Plains River about a few miles east of me, and it becomes the Illinois River. So I'm not between those two. So I'm kind of south of everything. So I'm actually uh, nowhere near a river. My, my come to think of it, I'm two or three miles away from the Chicago River. I'm about a mile and a half from the Illinois River. So. What's the next closest river to me, other than the Kankakee, would be probably the Vermilion River. Yeah, the Vermilion River. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. okay. Yeah, it uh, it's intersects the Illinois River just uh, west of the Starved Rock State Park. Uh, in fact, that's the river that goes through uh, Matheson State Park. And it starts somewhere down by Pontiac, Illinois. Oh, fun note, uh, and, and you might think this is apropos. I was looking at some maps. There's a shock. And the Kankakee River actually starts in a ditch near South Bend. That is fun. <laughs> that is a you fun You are fact. not kidding. I am not kidding. He says as he takes a drink of Big R brand purified water. So. No, this was a Kugel summer shandy, the last one we had in the fridge. One thing I got to do is... Ah! Legends is 1867. Oh, how I wish we could get paid for seeing that. Oh, well. Dear Mr. Line and Kugel. You know what surprises me most is that there's no umlaut in Line and Kugel. Wow, that surprises me, too. At least they don't put too. one on there. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's supposed to be one, but uh, you'd think there would be. Which case would be Line and Kugel. Kegel. Or if you were doing certain exercises, it'd be Line and Kegels, but uh, we're not going there. No, That's no, for please. a different podcast. <laughs> Which one? Uh, Super Podcast Brothers, actually, probably. Oh, okay. Yeah, no. If anyone was going to tackle that topic, it would be them. Yeah, I just I, I just heard their new episode today, so yay. All four hours of it, huh? Yeah. yeah I have to say, all. it was long. They can they can do really you don't long episodes. have to episodes. say that. They can, they can do long episodes, and this was probably one of their longest ones they just did, but conversely, it was uh, also probably one of the most interesting ones they've done, too. It was very interesting. It was very, very interesting. I uh, had a hard time turning it off. I like to I like to listen to my podcast. I, I like around like the 90-minute mark uh, when I'm listening to podcasts because it just fits into my commute better. And I don't like picking up later on because I tend to forget what I was listening to or, you know, what was being talked about on the podcast. But uh, I didn't have that problem with this most recent episode, which was... Uh, <laughs> It was a good episode. Uh, what was it? Gaming through the ages or something like that. <laughs> Some, they were going through different... Like multiple different generations of yeah, consoles. Like like uh, important events in the history of... Uh, in, in, a, in generations of consoles and important oh, yes, people indeed. and innovations and stuff. It was really fascinating, actually. They had some guests on there, too. They had... Um, they had Greg and George. Greg from, and George uh, from the SNES podcast. 
the and the PlayStation podcast. I and the PlayStation Power podcast. That's what I've not listened to. I've owned a PlayStation One, but I've not listened to that podcast yet. So I should probably listen to a couple of episodes. I'm, yeah, I know. I I know nothing. The only the only PlayStation experience I ever had was when I ran a PlayStation emulator on my Amiga One probably about uh, 13 years ago, and it worked really well, too, I got to say. I went, I went to GameStop and bought a bunch of PlayStation games for like 99 cents each. Well, we have an interesting story with uh, PlayStation. Is one time we were getting our balance on our checking account. We were fear that we were going to overdraft it, but then we found out we had an extra $1,000 in there, so we Whoa. put that money aside and bought a PlayStation and a game or two, and then come to find out it was a bank error. And so we had to re- oh. repay that and the uh, and an overdraft, but uh, we got a PlayStation. Wait, out of you it. had to pay an overdraft because of their error? Well, I spent some of their money. Yeah, but they told error. you it yeah. was yours, though. Well, you know, I don't have that problem anymore with my new my new banking, but I'm not going to evangelize but, about that. But uh, I don't have that problem anymore either because you have to have that kind of money to have that kind of problem. So yeah, the people I bank with, you don't have to have. Uh, they don't charge overdraft fees. Ooh, not at all. So, um, for people that want to know more, go to fidelity.com and check into their cash management accounts. Ooh, cash management. Dang yes. uh, So, uh, but, and, and come uh, to but think of it, you rate, know what? I was going In to, 19... yeah, I, I, I was going to continue my, uh, finish my PlayStation thing. Oh, um, do tell. Yeah. Uh, my wife actually bought uh, a PlayStation one at a garage sale a couple years ago and it sat oh, in the right. closet. You mentioned that before. Yeah. And sat in the, the closet until I could get, uh, get the connections and stuff. And I've gotten some games since then. And, uh, I haven't played it in a while, but uh, I made sure I got a couple of games that my wife wanted, like Crash Bandicoot and one of the, I believe it's called the Arcade Party Pack, which has Super Sprint and Smash TV, Rampage, and of course, her favorite game, Clax, on it. And of course, I don't think she's played it at all. Hmm. But, uh, yeah, but there you go. But anyway, before I so rudely interrupted you. But at any rate, uh, I don't remember if it was 1996 or 1997 when I bought my brother a PlayStation for Christmas. Yeah. And I also got NHL hockey for the PlayStation for him because hockey. he loved NHL hockey on the Sega Genesis, and so did I. And he's like, oh, this is awesome. He's like, I'm, I'm going to call you up on these nights. You got to come over and play this. He never invited me. <laughs> my uh, my brother had an N64 that I never really got to play. I, I really wanted to play a few games on it, but I, I got to play a few games, like a f- couple of rounds of... Uh, the very first South Park video game, which was on the N64, but other than that, I didn't really get to play a whole heck of a lot. Uh, my friend Matt, who you met, actually had an N64, and I played a little bit oh, really? earlier. Uh, so I played, what did I play on that a little bit? Goldeneye, which, uh, decent game, but it's like, he, he was one of those people that like, oh, no, you're doing this wrong, or whatever. I think I may have referred to, uh, told the audience about my, at the time I went to go see the, the first X-Men movie with him. On the drive home, we were like, yeah, that was a pretty good movie. And he's like, yeah, but, you know, they got this wrong, and this happened in the comics. It didn't happen in the movie. I'm like, shut up. It's a movie. It's its own thing. <sighs> I feel refreshed oh, now. I that, feel that, refreshed. That was refreshing. Yeah. So have you done any other uh, gaming-related activities in the past uh, fortnight? I like to use that word now and then, fortnight. Yeah, even though it's... Because this well, is a I fortnightly think I actually, podcast. Yeah, I think I do get what it means now, but... It means two uh, weeks, except you count the same day, so it's really 15 days instead of 14. But anyway, I, uh, what have I been playing? Uh, well, I just actually downloaded a game on my phone today that I've been addicted to. 
you know the Netflix show uh, Stranger Things? You've heard of it. You had to have heard of I've it. I've heard of it, and that's uh, all good I show. can say about uh, it. I've been meaning is, to try it out, and I never got around to it yet. It's a good show. And season two is coming out pretty soon. And come to find out, they have a, a game, uh, a Stranger Things game on the Android. Uh, I think it's on the iOS, too. And it's uh, kind of a Legend of Zelda-type game with uh, with the in the set in the Stranger Things universe. And it's really fun and addicting. <laughs> so I've been playing the heck out of that one today, and I just downloaded it today. Uh, let me see what else I've been playing. Obviously, the games that we're going to be talking about today. Um, oh, crap, we're talking about games today? In theory, I guess. What else have I been t- playing? I mean, I've been getting use out of my uh, Mateo's cart. Uh, I loaded up a bunch of uh, light gun games on it, and I used the little adapter that Bobby Adad Moore sent to me. It, for my Sega light gun, and um, I don't know if it's my TV or if it's the way the games are programmed or whatever, but the light gun games on the 7800 are really just terrible. Wait, how I mean, many what, are there? There's Cracked. Is is Cracked a light gun game? Yes, okay. And Crossbow. I was, I was shocked at how many there were. There's Crossbow, Alien Brigade, Cracked, Meltdown. Oh, there's two more. Um, cracked, Barnyard Blaster, Pretty sure there's one more, but I can't think of what it is. Is cracked one? I don't think cracked is. No, cracked isn't one. Um, what was the one that I? Oh, I think it was Barnyard Blaster. They couldn't get working because I didn't know it was light gun only. Yeah. Uh, now I got to figure it out again because I had them all loaded on my Mateos. And the one thing I did, one thing I don't like about the Mateos, if you want to go back onto the cart to find out what you put on there, if you load up the the burner, it's uh, not there anymore. Well, yeah, you have to cycle through it on the on an actual, or, or just write down what you put on it, like most people do. Uh, but that would make sense. Okay, here we go. Let's see, Atari seventy eight hundred. Here we go. Okay, there was there was five Alien Brigade, Alien Brigade, Barnyard Blaster, Crossbow, Meltdown, and Sentinel. Now on the Atari eight bit computers, there was Barnyard Blaster, Bug Hunt. Crossbow, Crime Buster, Gangsterville, and Operation Blood. Now, those 7800 games you mentioned, are they light gun only? Well, I know Crossbow and Alien Brigade are both. Are both. Uh, But I'm pretty sure all three of the rest of them are uh, light gun only. But the Sega light gun didn't really work that well. Now, it could just be the fact that I'm on a kind of a small TV as well, and I wasn't seeing that far from it, but... I'm thinking that the problem with the Atari light gun games wasn't so much the uh, gun as it was the way that the games were programmed. Oh, this is interesting. There were three light gun games for the Atari 2600, and Crossbow was not one of them. And only one of them was released. Uh, Sentinel was the only one that was released. Uh, The other two, one one was called Shooting Gallery, and one one called Bobby Needs Food. Wait, are you talking Shooting Gallery, or is there another one called Shooting Gallery? Shooting Gallery with a G. Huh. Yeah. So Shooting Gallery and Bobby Needs Food. Bobby Needs Food. Badly. Yeah, those two are both... Or Shooting Gallery was unreleased and Bobby Needs Food is apparently a homebrew that I have never heard of. So now I've got to f- find out about it. Paul, a little thinking music, please. <laughs> and because we gotta use our brains, our little noodle noggins. <laughs> gotta, gotta think, yeah, yeah. All right, let's see here. Um, I cannot find... Anything on this? Oh, let's see if I have. Wait, what are you looking for? Bobby needs food. Oh, okay. Uh, well, you must have heard of it somewhere. Wikipedia, but there's no article on it. It didn't uh, just get up and walk away. Walk away? 
Have you tried the Atari 2600 Rarity Guide? I did not. Wait, mm. whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on, whoa, hold whoa, whoa, on. Whoa. I just found something here. Ew, do tell. This is from Cinemassacre.com. Uh, Mike Mate's Atari 2600 Collection by Company. This is from June 10th. And according to Google, he has Bobby Needs Food. Apparently he has a Bobby Needs Food homebrew cart for this 2600. And wow, okay, I gotta, I'm not gonna waste any more of our podcast's precious time. What little time that we have is precious, but uh, I will do some more research on that. I bet there's an article on it on Atari Age. I'll have to look that up at some point. Oh, there must be. There's got to be. I mean, it's an Atari homebrew. There's got to be. Yeah. Alrighty then. So, but yeah, that's basically uh, what I've been saying. So, or playing. That's saying. what you've been saying. So that's huh? what I've been All saying right. what I've been playing. So that's pretty much what I've been playing. I haven't been playing a whole heck of a lot other than uh, what you're going to talk about tonight. Well, let's see. I've been playing on and off Fat Axel and Sick Pickles on the Atari 7800. Gee, I wonder why. Uh, Sick Pickles is not out on... Yeah, I wonder why, too. It's uh, almost as if some 7800 homebrew podcast is uh, covering it. And, and we never repeat jokes. For that podcast. And we never repeat jokes no. or segues on this show, ever. No. No. No, we got that going for us. Indeed. And... Uh, so, yeah, I've been playing those. Uh, other than that, I haven't really been, pl- been playing a lot of 7800 stuff lately, but uh, I went to Underground Retrocade uh, this past Saturday, the, was it the 14th? Yeah. And uh, I was only there for a couple hours. Uh, I played Outrun because I, I really wanted to try it again, and I absolutely sucked at it. I couldn't get anywhere on it. So I figured this is going to be a terrible night for gaming. And I and to be quite honest, I really wasn't in the mood to play any games. Oh? I was there, and... Um, I played Donkey Kong. Now, mind you that the Donkey Kong stand-up cabinet at Underground Retrocade is the hard ROM. Uh-huh. And I added about 40,000 points to my high score on the hard ROM. Oh, wow. And my high score, I think, is 132,400 now, which is more than twice my highest score. Or actually, it's roughly twice my highest score on the easy ROM. So I don't know what's going on there. And, and I added 11,000 points to my frenzy high. Oh, nice. And so I think you no longer have a higher score than I do. Yeah, no. I gotta, I gotta play again, but it's. Yeah. I didn't see your name on the card yet. I guess Mozzie's hadn't, hasn't updated that stuff oh, yet. Oh, must not have. So I don't, I don't know. But yeah, I think, I think I found the secret. Oh. Well, it's not a secret anymore because I'm telling. Everybody. Like, all three people who listen to us. The secret to frenzy and probably berserk is. Get out of the way of a, of a robot's diagonal firing path. Because it is so hard to avoid that. I don't know why, but a robot fires diagonally at me. I just cannot get out of the path. I can't, and I'm dead. So I just make sure that I'm positioned either far enough away from a robot, or if I'm in the path of a robot, it's either horizontal or vertical. And I last a fairly long time doing that. Mm-hmm. But of course you're saying, but wait a minute, Sean in a pan. Wait a minute, Sean in a pan. You said you weren't really in the mood to play games. So why were you playing games? Oh, you know what? It's because we were invited to a Atari kind of party in West Dundee, not too far from Underground Retrocade, like maybe a mile and a half away. So I figured I didn't have much time. I got I wanted to get there earlier than I did, but I figured, you know what, since I'm up there anyway, I really should use the Underground Retrocade gift certificate I got for Christmas. So I went there first because, you know, I can't be in West Dundee and not stop in. 
And then, of course, I never made it to the party, unfortunately, because the weather has oh, been really crazy. Don't even get me started. I mean, yeah. oh, I, I, I can't believe I made it to the to the party. It, it was one of our Patreon sponsors, Keith Sheehan. Thank, Thank you, you, Keith. Keith. That was very yes. kind of you to oh, invite was, the both of us. I apologize for... Was it, was it more than just you and Keith at that point, or did, uh, there was were other people not make it besides me? There was a third person that was going to show up, but I don't remember. Mm. I uh, don't remember who it was. But yeah, it's there was there was like a flash yeah, flood. Well, or I something. got to his place uh, earlier than you did, and you were heading. You, you texted him. I didn't get to his place. Well, that's so just yeah, the thing. Got I, mean, I got, I I got to his place, and uh, or well, at seven, and uh, you were you texted me like at seven thirty-five, saying you were leaving the the retrocade after you visited the Tinkle Pit. And in that 30 minutes, it downpoured and it flash flooded his street. And I was lucky yeah. to get out of there. Uh, the cops closed off his street. That's how bad it was. There was a couple feet of water at the entrance to his street that I drove through that was bone dry 30 minutes earlier. Yeah, because when I got, because like there's, he lives on a very short street and there, the only way to get there is to take another street and that street was flooded. And I, I didn't know it was flooded because it looked like I didn't know that the street suddenly goes downhill at one point. And I started going downhill and I noticed that I that there was water coming up. I was like, what? Mm-hmm. And the car like stalled and then it shorted out. And I'm like, oh, crap, because I had just had the car repaired. Uh, there was there were a couple of leaks in the in the uh, the solenoids and I, ha- I just had it repaired earlier that day. And I'm thinking, oh, great. Now I'm going to break a brand new fi- Well, not brand new, but a, a newly fixed car. Oh, I'm I'm going to I'm going to be the fan of my family. <laughs> family being basically just my wife, really. And well, the dog doesn't care, but uh, I'm just trying to start it up. I actually did get it started up once and I was able to back up a couple inches and then the same thing happened. Stalled and then shorted out. And it couldn't get its start. I was like, man, now I can't even call OnStar for this. And I did one of those Marty McFly, like, rage hit the steering wheel things, and suddenly it came back on, just like in Back to the Future. (laughs) And I was actually able to back all the way out, and everything was fine after that. So I tried to go around the subdivision to the other end of that street, but the flooding was too far back to come in from the other yep. end too so i was like ah like i said i was amazed that i got out i went the only reason hey, i left lucky. was i was just scoping the streets out to see if there was another way you could get in there and i actually drove through an area that had a lot of water on it and i was scared crapless the entire time i was driving through it and i'm like yeah i'm never doing that again and after i made it through it i texted uh, keith and told him you know I hate to do this to you, but I, I think I'm just going to head on home. And um, I'm surprised that uh, Route 47 uh, on my drive home was uh, in good condition as it was. I had to drive that for like 50 miles. And um, there was only one or two places where there was water on the road. And fortunately, it was only like off onto the, you know, the right side of the road. So it wasn't that bad. That was, and I briefly considered. I briefly considered going back to the retrocade. You know, just you know, figure. Well, at the very least, I can maybe get some more gaming in. But I was like, well, maybe I better not. Right. If it's bad there, there's no guarantee that downtown West Dundee is not going to eventually get that bad. And, and and actually, it's kind of a good thing that I didn't end up going to because the rain had actually died down by the time I got to uh, Underground Retrocade. But when I stepped out to head out to Keith's house, it was like a torrential downpour. Yeah. And in the 20 seconds it took me to get to the car, my jeans had just gotten soaking Say. wet. I mean, I oh. don't, yeah, I know. 
I know, down girls. But <laughs> Tom Servo. So I and I didn't want to track that into Keith's house. Oh yeah, know? no, I totally get that. That was like the so weirdest. I was, I was like, oh man, what am I going to do? I, I, I think they got like four inches of rain for the entire day there, and in twenty four hours, it swash us a path going from I think Ottawa to like through Midway Airport, which includes. Uh, where I work up in Bolingbrook and Lyle up by uh, uh, Pixel Blast, they got eight to nine inches of rain in 24 hours in that area. It was a it was a narrow band. It was just nuts. It was that was the weirdest rainstorm I have ever seen in the month of October in my life in this area. And that was just totally bizarre. Of course, it was Friday the 13th weekend, so do with that information what you will. But uh, of course, Friday. Yeah, it was some bad luck. I I like. Totally blew away my high score on Donkey Kong and Frenzy. I usually have I good luck on Centipede, Friday the Thirteenth. I, you know, I'm not a superstitious guy, but Friday the Thirteenth, I'm like, Feh. I usually have good luck. Yeah, I'm pretty substitious myself. Yeah, I know where you're going with that, and I'm trying to think of a typesetting joke, but I am drawing a blank. Um, maybe I should oh, I see underline it. Maybe I should underline it and italicize it in a ten point aerial font. That, that was, uh, that's that was next pretty... episode. That was a pretty bold statement you made there. Yeah, it was an interesting weekend. That was, yeah, so es muy interesante. It seems like yeah, yeah, Keith had been Keith had been trying to get something together for a long time, and every day he had to keep canceling. He's like, "Oh crap, we're going out. We're going out. We have to go away for the weekend. Let's try this other time." And then it's like, sometimes, oh, I forgot my kids are busy. And then sometimes we would have something going on. Yeah, and, and it's just <laughs> it's like trying to herd cats, which would be especially interesting because I'm allergic. Yeah. Yeah, Sunday I was home all day by myself and I didn't play any video games. So, I don't Are know. Are you feeling okay, young man? No, I did laundry and uh, I But what did the laundry ever do for stuff. you? It gave me clean clothes. Did it give you clean grundies? Reference to episode 64 oh, that's from right. uh, Gary Harris. Oh, oh well. Shiver me grundies. Pink. No. So. So anyway, having said that, uh um, do we have reason to open up everything we ha- we know about the Atari box? Well, actually, yes, we do, and I forgot to... So let's open it up, then. It's time for another edition of... Everything We Know About the Atari Box. So, do you have any further information other than uh, the uselessness of it? Well, uh, actually, there was a interview uh, done about it over the last uh, week or so. And uh, let's see here if I could find where it was. Here it is. Uh, well, first of all, it's going to have streaming capability, like Ooh. Amazon and oh yeah, Netflix, uh, Netflix and all that fun stuff. Which duh, we pretty much already uh, figured it out. But uh, former Xbox, if it, basically, if you have any kind of electronic device that has been made since 2010, you probably already have that kind of capabilities as it is now. My uh, Comcast cable box actually now has Netflix and really? uh, Netflix and YouTube directly on it. No need to wow. use the Roku on my TV down there anymore. So I'm going to bring it back up into my bedroom. I'm going to install a couple channels on that thing, if you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, I, I don't. You'll have to explain it. Well, when a mommy and daddy love each other very much, and they have a subscription to Netflix... Wait a minute. That's the wrong story. Um, so, yeah. So. No, you have to finish the story now. Everybody's curious. <laughs> well, are they? Yeah, this. You know what? I'm going to just end it there because this could go in so many different non 
family-friendly related areas. Uh, so, yeah, that's pretty much the yeah, end of it. And plus, at this point, I don't know about you there, Jimmy G, but I really care less about the Atari box than I've ever cared about anything in my life. Yeah, at this point. I was mildly excited about it at first because it could be interesting, but uh, yeah, it's... But I read, but what I was going to say, uh, VentureBeat has a... Uh, VentureBeat.com has an article, Former Xbox Leader Ed Freese uh, Quizzes Fergal Mac, who I guess is head of Atari, on Atari's new console. And it's like a three-page long interview with video and uh, I just briefly went over it. looks like uh, Ed Fries actually asked some pertinent questions, but like I said, I haven't uh, really read it in depth yet. Like, here's a question. That brings us to content. You have the classic problem where you're making hardware, the chicken and egg. Nobody wants to buy hardware while there's no content, but nobody wants to make content while there's no hardware to sell to. How do you break that cycle? So, yeah, it looks like an interesting uh, article. I have and, yet you know, to read I it. Think- I think really the guys on completely unnecessary podcast, I think they pretty much nailed it with Again, what they yeah. had to say. It's like, you know what? I think they said the final word. We might this might be the final edition of everything we know about the Atari box. Maybe. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. So uh So should we uh close it now? Yeah, let's close it. Alright, All right, um, so this has been I'm, another edition of Everything We Know About the Atari Box. Okay, so we got that uh, over with. So uh what else? Yeah, uh, about to, to, else quote, uh, to quote Master Shake from Aqua Teen Hunger Force on that one. I was done with it the minute I saw it. And I think that uh, sums up our opinion on the Atari Box. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's that's about right. Pretty that's about right. Uh, so yeah. That's it. Uh, how how about um Addenda and Arata or did we get everything correct? I think we were perfect for the first time in a while. Okay, so we don't we don't need to correct or add anything. So not that that's I am good. aware. I don't have any news either. So all right, yeah, neither neither do I. Really, I guess yeah. we can just get uh, right into uh, this episode's selected games and now of a our certain theme of some sort. Um, Jimmy G, I would like to offer you the right of first refusal. Would you like to refuse to speak first, or would you like to refuse to refuse to speak first? I will refuse to refuse to refuse to refuse, so I guess that means I'm speaking first. That means you're speaking first. So yeah, we might as well, because I think this is the more interesting of the two games we're going to talk about tonight. Oh, great. So now everybody's like, yeah, we're just going to listen to the first half, then we're going to shut it off after this well, one. Well, you know, to be fair, though... Uh, they do stick around for your dulcet voice, so you know? indeed they do. Yes, so uh, yeah, so let us roll the bones on. Uh, no, that's not a good pun given the name of this, given the game. Uh, let us um, set our phasers to stunning for uh, our first game, and that is Star Trek Strategic Operation. <laughs> Star Trek Strategic Operations Simulator. I don't get it. Neither do I. I get Newsweek. But up, but but up, but zingy. So. We yeah. Can you come up with another thing besides <laughs> the Steve Tui thing? Uh, I like to rip them off. Tweevil.com, by the way. Ding. And I haven't used that in a while, so I get a pass. So yes, yeah, Star Trek. St- ah, did it again. So yeah, Star Trek. Yay, Star Trek. Strategic. We'll just call it Star Trek hmm, SOS. Star Trek, Star Trek ah, SOS. Star Trek. So, uh-huh, Star yes, Trek. What, what, what's, the th- what's the new thing we're supposed to do now? Ah, Star Trek. Yay, Star Trek. Yes, Star Trek. Yes, Star Trek. I don't know. Star Trek. (laughs) Star Trek. Indignation. Maybe we should just do apathy. Yeah, that might make make our 
podcast. I don't have any feelings one way or the other to that one. So, so yeah, it's a Sega Color Vector game from 1982. It had two different cabinets, an upright, and a cockpit. Uh, you know, sit-down, environmental, whatever you want to call it. And the, the play, you control the Starship Enterprise on its five-year mission to... Uh, actually, your job is to protect star bases in a operations simulator. And even though this came out in 82, it was actually not based on the movies uh, of the Star Trek series at the time. Uh, but I'll talk a little bit about that just a little bit during the uh, the ports section. So, uh, first of all, the, the controls that you have is, uh, first of all, you have a rotary knob which rotates the Enterprise. This is one of very few uh, vector games that I know of that have a rotary control on it. There's this one, uh, Tempest, of course. Um, there's a game, another... Omega Race. Oh, oh, maybe there's more than I thought. Omega Race, uh, Tax Scan, and I guess you could could consider the roll bar, or whatever they call it, the roller on uh, Major Havoc, a spinner of a sort. Kind of like only a, it's kind of like actually a two-directional trackball, uh, in a way. But I suppose you could consider that. So, but okay, so maybe there are more than I thought. But yeah, the uh, so you have a rotary knob to rotate the Enterprise, and you have a thrust button to move the Enterprise forward. You have a phaser, which is which fires your phasers, your which is your primary weapon. Oh, now I get it. Okay, okay. Then you have a warp button, which makes the Enterprise speed forward faster than thrusting, and the Enterprise is invincible while using this, and you have limited warp potential. Uh, you also have photon torpedoes, which you have in a limited quantity, and uh, those shoot forward, then explode. Now, the screen is divided up into three sections. The top left has your score. Just like Rome. The top left has your score, the number of shields, the units of warp drive that you have left, and the number of photon torpedoes that you have left. You have limited numbers of each. Uh, I believe it's like four. It's four or five. Um, yeah, there's some good research for you. The top right of the screen is an above view of the action. Think like radar from, say, like games like Defender. And uh, what other games have we talked about that have use of a radar? Chopper Command. We've not talked about Chopper Command. I thought we talked about it last episode in our little pre-thingy uh, banter, didn't we? Oh, maybe we did. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I know Defender. Oh, uh, uh, Sinistar. 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 Yeah. yeah. Uh, we briefly mentioned Stargate. So it's uh, it's kind of like that. Uh, this is the top right, and this is the largest section of the screen, and it's probably the part of the screen you will use the most, because everything is displayed on there, even your shots and the enemy shots. Uh, the Enterprise is in the center. Kind of, It looks like the Enterprise. Klingons are represented by triangles, star bases by like a square with little circles on the corners. And then you have an enemy called Nomad, and we'll get to the enemies in a moment, which is represented by something I forgot to put down in my notes. So uh, there you go with that. And then there's also an antimatter saucer, which is represented by an oval. And enemy shots are represented by a dot. Now, the lower part of the screen is the first-person perspective of the action, and you'll probably use this... Not as often. I, I guess it's it's helpful to line your shots up a little bit better. But it's like as if you were portraying uh, Captain Jean-Luc Pic- um, I mean, uh, Captain James T. Kirk. Picard wasn't even a thing when this uh, game came out. So, yeah, so uh, like your Kirk. It's uh, got a battle zone-ish feel, the bottom part of the screen. So, Except it's actually playable. Uh, well, yeah, I went there. Uh, yeah, you went there. So, as far as what the object of the game is... Um, 
as I was saying, uh, you, your job is to protect the star bases. Each star base takes five hits from a Klingon fighter. You can dock with the star, star base to replenish your shields, your warp drive, your photon torpedoes and all that. But every time you do, it actually counts as a hit on the star base. So you could wipe out all the Klingons except for one. And if you dock with the star base five times, it destroys the star base. Uh, you have a limited number of shields, and every time your ship is hit, you lose a shield. Now, once your shields have all been gone from your shield indicator, the next hit will take out your photon torpedoes. And then the next is your warp, it will take out all of your warp power. And then finally, the next hit will destroy your ship, thus completing the simulation. And there are 40 levels in the game. As far as the enemies go, there are three different types of Klingons. First of all, you have the red Klingon, which concentrates on destroying star bases. If it destroys a star base, then it turns blue. And then blue Klingons, which there are, each screen starts out with at least one red, well, one red Klingon for each star base, and however many blue ones. The blue ones concentrate on firing at the Starship Enterprise, and after a while, starting on certain levels, they will turn white, and then the white Klingons will concentrate on ramming the Enterprise. Now, the score for the Klingons, all the Klingons are worth 25 points plus the round number times 25. So on the first level, all Klingons are 50 points. On the second level, they would all be 75, and so on and so forth. Now, the antimatter saucers, those are dark blue. If they attach themselves to the Enterprise, it will drain all the warp drive energy and then fly away. Those are worth 5,000 points. Those are actually fairly easy to avoid. If it's behind you, it tends to close in on you. So if you, um, just by uh, creative maneuvering of the Enterprise, just like moving at a diagonal, you can get it close enough to you to where you can turn around and zap it. And, uh, hey, that's 5,000 big points, so that's nothing to... Nothing to, uh... If you got a shot at it, you might as well take Nothing it. to what? Don't leave us hanging. Keep me hanging on. Oh. So, uh, and then finally you have an enemy called Nomad. And those appear every so many stages. And when the Enterprise goes up against Nomad, what happens is Nomad flies around the screen depositing mines. And after it deposits 30 mines, it waits for them to explode and disappear. If you can destroy Nomad before it disappears... Uh, you get a cool 30,000 points. And I say cool because they're wearing like the dark sunglasses that are like positioned low on the nose and they're looking over the top of the glasses. That's cool. Now, you cannot destroy Nomad with your photon torpedoes, only your phasers. So make sure they're not on stun, they are on kill, which is not a thing in the game. And uh, yeah, the, uh, oh yeah, the mines blow up and they take out a radius around, well, where the mine was. So you kind of want to be away from them. Then, uh, at the end of every level, there's a bonus. You get a starbase bonus at the end of a round. Every starbase that you have used or has been hit, you get the round number times 250 points. So first round, 250, second round, 500, so on and so forth. And any starbase that has not been hit or has not been docked with is the round number times 1,000. So 1,000, 2,000, so on and so forth. That's pretty easy. And... There have been no, for you, maybe. Well, yeah. There have been several ports of this. Uh, the Atari 2600, 5200. Wait, wait. The 2600 had it? Yeah. I was actually You're playing kidding. it tonight. No, not kidding. It's one that I actually uh, actually am looking for for my 2600 uh, collection. Oh, wait. Did, C- did CBS do that? Mm-mm. Sega. That was a Sega release. Sega. Mm-hmm. Huh. Sega actually did release some games for the 2600. Um, let's see. They Tapper, did. for one. Tapper. Tax Spy Hunter. Tech Scan, Buck Rogers, 
Thunderground, Star Trek, obviously, Up and Down. I want to think there's one more. They actually released quite a few games. Uh, Congo Bongo. And um, most of their games were actually pretty good. Uh, people rag on the port of Tax Scan, but I kind of enjoyed it. Oh, I it. love that port. Oh, that's a fun game, but... Then again, I, I don't think I've ever played the arcade version. I've only seen it on Starcade. So I have played that in the arcade know. a couple of times. Um, is that one that they have at Galloping Ghost? I don't think they have it at Galloping Ghost. I don't think so. I know I've played it before, but we'll talk about that at some point in the future. So, yes, 2,600, 5,200, 2, ColecoVision, the Atari 8-bit computers, uh, the C64, the VIC-20, the TI-99-4A, and the Apple II. Now, there was a homebrew version of it for the Tandy Coco, the colored computer, called, uh, was it Space Rec, I believe? Yeah, I believe that's it. And, oh, by uh, the way, the only the only uh, place listed on Orcade.com as having um, tax scan is the International Center for the History of Electronic Games in Rochester, New York. Which I believe is uh, affiliated with the National Toy Museum. Oh. Uh, I believe they're the, the same organization. So there you go. And uh, I, I'm sure this is what tax scan is one Doc's looking for. That's a great game. So, um, Oh, that's going to be my guess for next Monday. Yeah, that's not a bad idea, actually. Yeah, now, a couple interesting things about the game. We talked about the graphics, color vector, but they do have the voice of Spock and Scotty yes. in the game. And oh, Scotty's in it, too? Yeah, in the attract mode. Oh, it shows mode. you how far I've gotten in this game. It's in the attract mode, actually. Uh, Spock oh. says, uh, welcome aboard, Captain. Welcome aboard, Captain. And when That's the, a good spot. Now, did they actually use uh, no. Leonard Nimoy in that? Okay, no. They, that's a these good were synthesized. Spock voice. These were synthesized, and they were these voices are really good. In fact, this is not going to be the first... Uh, comparison you're going to hear, but uh, the voices on this game, even though there aren't as many, they are a lot clearer and a lot more recognizable than the voices in Star Wars. And uh, when you find out that these were actually synthesized and not uh, like samples, uh, that's even all the more impressive. So yeah, welcome. So Spock, well, again. Wow, I can't wait to find that out. Yeah. So Spock has uh, welcome aboard, Captain, and. Uh, I believe he says simulation complete. I could have had a hard time hearing that one. And then he had then uh, Scotty, I believe, in the attract mode says, "You are the captain of the Starship Enterprise." So yeah, really awesome voices in this one. So, and that is all I have to say about Star Trek so far, as far as the game itself goes. Sean, what? So let's uh, hear some hear about some scoring. Oh well. Um... You know, I don't think I actually ever recorded my score for this. I never had uh, anybody at uh, the Ghost officiate, uh, adjudicate it. Uh, let me actually, let me just double check. Oh, yeah. Let's see. I've gotten 12,825 on that. Uh, but for people who play a little bit better than I do, Which such as Darren people. Harris, he scored 123,467,525 according to Twin Galaxies single player mode and uh that was um where oh, I don't know where it was but uh it was verified on July 8th 1985 Ooh. that's the marathon setting meaning that you can get as many bonus lives as you want but on the tournament setting in which the bonus lives bonus are either shields. forbidden bonus shields because there bonus are no shields lives. that's right yeah which bonus shields are either limited or not allowed at all Darren Harris, again, verified June 2nd, 2004, which oh, Orcade.com wow. agrees with and has it listed as being performed at Fun Spot the previous day. Wait, so he has both records? Yep, tournament and marathon. And it, uh, the the tournament uh, record is 
he has that both on Orcade and the uh, Twin Galaxy. What year did you say he did the tournament record? Tournament record was 2004. What was the other record? 2004 also? 1985. Oh, 1985. So he had the same record like 19 years apart. Yeah, almost to the day. Wow, that's awesome. I think that's the first time we've had uh, news of a, of a person scoring like that, having the original score and then you know coming back years later and re and replicating the the feat. Right, 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 right. So that was pretty awesome. Twas. So Sean. Yes. So what have you to say about the game? Well, um, it's it's kind of hard for me to really say anything about it. I've played it a few times, and I'm not a Star Trek fan. I'm not. I mean, I I'll, I'll put it to you this way: I I saw an episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation in one of my classes in college, and I really liked it. I saw the first Star Trek motion picture, and eh, it was okay, but didn't do much for me. I saw maybe one or two episodes of the original series, and um, I saw the first. J.J. Abrams Star Trek movie because my wife really wanted to see it. So we went to see it and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. But I'm not really a fan. So I I couldn't really get in the mindset of a Star Trek fan. But with all that said, and of course, it's hard not to do Star Trek versus Star Wars kinds of things. It's just, it's just going to come up. Mm-hmm. And it made me think, you know what? This is a different concept to what the Star Wars game is like. It still feels like there's kind of a rivalry between the two with these games, especially because they're both color vector games. Mm-hmm. But I really, really liked Star Trek, the Star Trek game a lot. I really did. It's it's a fun play, and I think what really attracted me to it was the booming bass in Spock's voice. Oh, yeah. I was like, that sounds yeah. so cool, even in MAME. Yeah. Oh, yeah, indeed. This, uh, this game is really well emulated in MAME. Granted, it's still... You still got to get to the arcade to play it to get the full experience, but oh, yeah. uh, this this game really does emulate well in Mame. And um, one thing I was going to mention um, when I was talking about ports, there is a Star Trek game on the Vectrex, but that is called Star yes. Trek: The Motion Picture, and it is not a port of the arcade game. It's its own thing, although it's in play. Uh, really, really similar to this one. The only difference is that you can move through space in all four directions. It's uh, more got the uh, kind of the movement of the Star Wars arcade game with the play of the Star Trek arcade game. Yeah, I actually had that when I had a Vectrex, and I really don't remember much about it. I played a lot. It was actually a good game. I've played That's it in emulation I, I just remember a bit. being a good game. Yeah, I, I played it in emulation a bit in recent years, although not recently, and uh, I did watch a video of it. In recent years, although not recently. Not within the last couple of months. And... Um, I did uh, watch a video of it tonight, and the play is similar. In some respects, I think the graphics might be a little bit better, but um, it's its own thing. It's not based on uh, the arcade game. It's based on the first movie, which this is not based on the movie, although you, it was obviously writing on the coattails of the renewed interest in Star Trek, obviously. Well, of course. So, uh, come to think of it, Sega did that with another movie franchise, uh, with another uh, popular uh, sci-fi uh, title, and that would be Buck Rogers. But, oh, I was going to say Congo Bongo. Well, of course. I mean, come on. So that's, again, another game we got to talk about. And I would love to get that to talk about that one. But, uh, so yeah, so um, as far as this game goes, uh, first of all, I remember the first place I ever played this. And Do tell. I'll take a, take a guess. Um, is it that locksmith place? No, actually. That was a good um, guess, though. 
uh oh is it gonna be um oh god that beef place in plainfield um oh what the heck was it called nabby's, nabby's. nope uh showbiz pizza place nope uh, it was at aladdin's castle on the campus of northern illinois university in dekalb illinois <laughs> we were on a choir we were on a trip uh from high school to a choir competition and they happened to have an Aladdin's castle on campus. And that was the first place I saw it. And the first place That's I played nuts. it. Wow. And, um, I'm trying to think, I think that was the first place I played gyrus. And, uh, there was like one other game I played there for the first time. And I can't remember what it was, but, uh, so I played it there and, um, uh, I really like this game. Um, if, if you don't take it as, um, as anything directly from um, the movie, or the uh, the TV any of the TV series or at that at that point there was only the original series uh, you'll be you'll be okay because it doesn't only thing it really references are the Klingons which the Klingons are the the until uh, next generation were were the enemy of uh, the United Federation of Planets or whatever the heck it was called and if you can take it as a simulator like a training simulator like the game Omega Race is supposed to be actually. It's it's not. It's if you take it like that, it's a great game. It's if you take it as like that. But if you take, get out of the mindset of the movies because that, that it, you don't have like the control. Whereas like the Star Wars movies, you had all the control and you were playing the movie. The Star Trek game, you're actually playing a simulator. It seems like you're playing a simulator in the Star Trek universe. If you can follow what I'm saying, it's like you're training to pilot the Enterprise. Well, yeah, that, and that, that's what the game is and all that about. Is what it's is a simulator. That's what it's all about, and that's what it's called. And the game is weird because of the way that the screen is set up with the, the three different unequal sections of the screen. Uh, the, the screen with the forward view is probably actually area-wise the smallest portion of the screen. And then the next biggest one is the uh, your status area, and then the largest one, as I was saying before, and the one you use the most often is the radar, and that's kind of kind of weird, actually. But you know, if, once you get playing it, and uh, you, you once you get uh, get playing the game, uh, usage of the three portions of the screen just really comes naturally after a while. Uh, you know, you know what to do, you know where to look, and and quite frankly, it's. As far as I'm concerned, it's actually fairly well set up, given uh, given the way it's uh, divided. Obviously, you don't get you know your four way control. You don't get your up and down. Everything is just side to side, so it's like kind of a mm, it's which is might be a little disappointing to some people, but it's still a great game. And um, I had a lot of fun with this one. This is a this game is more fun than I remember it being, um, actually. So. Uh, I don't really know what more to say about it. I mean, it's colorful. It's got the voices. It's got some really good, fun gameplay. I would say it's, after playing this game, I'm still keeping Star Wars a five because I still think that's a great game. But if we were, uh, if we did decimal points, this would be a 5.1 if you compared it to Star Wars. But Ooh. if you don't compare Ooh. it to Star Wars, it's just a five. It's uh-huh. just a five. Just a five. For me, it's a four. Um, I, I think it might be higher if I actually spent more time with it. And the thing is, every time I played this, whether it be at Galloping Ghost or whether it be in MAME, I ended up thinking to myself, man, why do I not play this more? Why did I not play this uh, back in the um, Ferg? And, it, well, quite simply because I, I was never a Star Trek fan, so you say Star mm-hmm. Trek to me, I'm like, yeah, whatever. But um, it's a great, it's a fantastic game. And where did I first see it? 
you know, I must have seen it at Aladdin's castle at Lincoln Mall. I must have, but I, I probably just went right past it and just didn't think anything of it. It must have been there. I mean, there's always been games in the arcade that you've you've seen and you've like, you know, walked past because it doesn't look interesting. Uh, but then you come to it at later, you know, later time and it's like, wow, why didn't I play this years ago? Um, Reactor, you know, was a game like that for me. Um, eventually I played it. Granted, I didn't wait, <laughs> wait 20, 30 years to play it. I waited maybe two years to play it. But I eventually played it, and this is a great game. And I can see where the Star Trek would be like that for a lot of people, because Star Wars, even though the third movie had come in... No, actually, no. No, the no, third, third movie was 83, so the third movie was still coming out. So it was right in the middle of Star Wars fever, the original wave of Star Wars fever. So um, Star Wars uh, consciousness was high, whereas Star Trek didn't really have that kind of fervor outside the uh, the the Star Trek f- uh, fan people. But I'm not going to use Trekkie or Trekkers because I don't want to get into that whole debate. But, um, <sighs> yeah. So uh, I can see why people would uh, would go by, by go, would go right by Star Trek. But, um, you know, kind of regret it. Make up for lost time and play Star Trek. Uh, um, well, I will Star Trek's try. St- Strategic Operations Simulator because there have been more in different Star Trek games over the years. In fact, the old computer game Star Trek had, uh, um, which was not related to the uh, to the arcade game, actually had, or not related to the Star Trek franchise, actually did have a release also. And in fact, when I uh, was looking for the <clears throat> ROM for this game, I accidentally uh, downloaded the wrong Star Trek ROM. So uh, that was uh, a little embarrassing. And uh, like I said, there have been also Star Trek game arcade games based on the other Star Trek incarnations, like Next Generation had a had pinball, which is one of my favorite yeah. pinballs. And then uh, I believe Star Trek Voyager had an arcade game, and there was uh, one or two others that I can't think of off the top of my head. So this is just straight up Star Trek. Well, actually, it isn't Strategic Operations Simulator, but you know, it's based on the original Star Trek. So. Play it. Well, yeah, going back to time. what I was what I was uh, trying to say here, uh, and, and again, I have to go back to the voice again because not only is the voice just have this perfect like booming sound, but it also sounds like it's trying to psych you up, you know. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah. that's a that's a good feeling. And something that I really really liked about Star Trek Strategic Operations Simulator is when the game's over. It actually tells you simulation complete. Yes. It doesn't say game over. Yeah. It makes you think like you've accomplished something. It, it's like being on the holodeck on the Enterprise, which right. wasn't it, I mean, released until the uh, next generation. It's a little bit of a, of a tease, though, because it's like, ooh, the, the simulation is complete. Does that mean I move on to the real thing? No. Oh, no. <laughs> no. Apparently not. And you were saying about the uh, the booming sounds. Sega has, has a thing for booming sounds in their games. And um, this this game is no no exception. I mean, for as much as you didn't like Zaxxon, the uh, like the sound effects in Zaxxon were incredible. I I believe you you liked the sound in Zaxxon, not so much the play. And uh, I, Star Trek SOS is no exception. It has awesome explosions and the uh, the sound effects of when you get hit by uh, hit by enemy laser or when you collide, and even the siren sound when uh, you're you're out of shields. Uh, all awesome sound effects. And then, as I was saying before, the voices of uh, Spock and Scotty were uh, really good for not being samples. So, 
there you go. I mean, what more to say? This is a very, 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 very good game. Very fun game. Okay. And with that, I'm going to have a drink of tea. Okay. Well, I guess that's it then. That's it for Star Trek, Trek, I guess. Yeah. All right, then, hey, let's make up for lost time. Make up for last time, yeah, and uh, it's a really good game, and um, I have no transition, so now, the other game, Galaxian. And now, our feature presentation. Oh, Galaxian. Well. (sighs) Galaxian. Okay, before you start, uh, I'm going to say that this, you know what? No, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. You, oh, you're going to wait, huh? Yep, I'm going to wait. I'm not going to I'm not going to steal your thunder. You're going to you're going to wait for me to actually say something. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so hey, Galaxian is ah, uh, Galaxian. Yay, Galaxian. <laughs> Galaxian. Ooh. And uh, say Galaxian. Galaxian. I already said Galaxian. Jeez. But uh, it was released October 1979 in Japan by Namco and December 1979 in the North America by Midway, and the game was designed by Kazunori Sawano, and uh, the lead programmer was Koichi Tashiro. Koichi. The internal hardware designer was Shigekazu Ishimura. Now, why did these people get together and do this game? Well, duh, because they wanted something to compete against Space Invaders. And uh, this is interesting, though, because who did I just say released Galaxian in North America? Valley Midway. Valley Midway. Who also released Space Invaders in in North America? Valley Midway. Valley Midway, yes. Which was made by competing company Taito. And uh, that was that's kind of an interesting little thing there. So uh, uh, I don't know if this had anything to do with it, but of course, uh, eventually Taito started up its own division in the United States, which meant that uh, Midway no longer distributed Taito games at that point. So uh, this was actually kind of a good thing because Midway was about to look for a new foreign partner anyway, and they found one in Namco. So there you have it. And uh, Galaxian has a lot of firsts with it. It is the first vertical shooter with scrolling graphics. When that was pointed out to me, I was like, yeah, the graphics are scrolling, but the only thing that's scrolling is just the star fields. The act, the scrolling itself doesn't really affect the gameplay at all, but that's okay. That's okay. It's the first arcade game in which all of the graphics were RGB color as opposed to just monochrome with overlays. And it was the first Namco game that had a, a specific cabinet design where it has a kind of like curved feel on the outer walls. Mm-hmm. It's the same cabinet design that they used for Pac-Man and I believe Rally X, and of course Ms. Pac-Man had that same design. So going back to uh, Koichi Tashiro, uh, some other games that he did include Solvalu, Pole Position and Pole Position 2, Rally X and New Rally X, mm-hmm. and he later became head of Namco's mobile division in uh, 2005. Oh, wow. Something I'm noticing about these Japanese companies, like people stay there forever. Seems like it. Like, in, like American companies, like people keep moving on. Like you'll hear about, it's not just even the video game industry either, but like everywhere you hear people like moving back and forth to uh, half a dozen different companies over a course of like 10, 20 years. Mm -hmm. These guys stay around forever. Case in point, Shigeru Miyamoto at uh, Nintendo. Mm -hmm. But anyway, uh, Toshiro has 24 US patents to his name. So he's a very uh, creative guy. In fact, his most recent patent was from last year. What was it for? I'm not really sure. But, um, hey, now this is interesting is, um, I don't know if I necessarily agree with this. Uh, if you go to arcadehistory.com and look at the Galaxian entry, it says Galaxian took everything that made Taito's groundbreaking space invaders so good 
and improved on it on every level. I'm not so sure I agree with that, but I'll get to that later. I just wanted to throw that out there just to get people's minds a stirring and to think, ooh, what's Sean and the Pan going to talk about? Dun, ooh, dun, let, dun. Let's stay tuned. So anyway, um, everybody knows how to play Galaxian, but I guess I should just talk about it a bit. Uh, your character. Now, here's the thing. I don't know how the the character's name is pronounced. I, I don't know if it's Galapsip, Galaxip, whatever, or Galahip. I'm just going to say your character. Your character must shoot 46 attacking what are called Galaxians. And that's it. That's the game right there. You just shoot Galaxians. That's it. Done. Bam. Move on. You get another wave of Galaxians. You get 32 wave of Galaxians. You have a left and right two-way joystick and a fire button. You can only move left and right and pretty slowly and fire one shot at a time on the screen. The Galaxians can move in all directions and wrap around the screen, and they can move much faster, and they can fire two lasers at you at a time, and in some variations of the ROM, they can be set to fire three lasers at you at a time. And they'll kick your puppy. And they probably will kick your puppy, which is why I do not play this game if Ruthie is nearby. Except, here's the thing. There is actually kind of a formation, kind of like Space Invaders. The 46 Galaxians are set in a pattern up top of the screen. When they're in that formation, they do not actually fire. They only fire at you when they start diving down toward you in kind of a kamikaze style. Dive bombing. But that's really the only thing that makes this game anything special other than you just shoot at things. That's it. Just There's some dive bombers. You just pointly shoot stuff with no real sense of accomplishment. And that's kind of why I question... Whoever edited that article in ArcadeHistory.com about how it improved Space Invaders on every level. It's like, no, they didn't. Space Invaders, you actually had a point. You were trying to save the Earth. And if you didn't, you, the game was over. You don't have that issue here. If I might say something about the uh, about the controller there on this on this game. You're saying two-way joystick and a fire a, button. Yes. Uh, on the cocktail table, it actually did not have... A joystick, if I'm remembering correctly, because I have seen a Galaxian cocktail table, and it had like a lever to which you would push it to the left to go to the left and push it to the right to go to the right. It did not have a two-way joystick, if I Let me see. my memory serves correctly. Let me see. I'll pull up a picture of said cocktail table. Here's a picture of, the, uh, of a Galaxian cocktail game. Uh, I'll just send you the link, but it does indeed have a two-way lever. I want to see just, that because I've never seen such a thing. Sure. I'll just uh, send you the link if I can copy it. My right click seems to not be working again. <sighs> I could have sworn I had seen this, but this just proves that I'm right for once about something. Oh, that's oh, that's interesting. It's a, it's, it's oh, a lever. Wow. It's, it's a self-centering like little switch. Yeah, it's like it's it's like a it's little a rotary like, switch dial thingy. It's it's kind of like what some voting machines used to have. Yeah, it kind of does look like that, doesn't it? Yeah, it's like it, it like pivots at the top. It's a black knob where the it's, a, uh, it's with, like a little like handle a, with thing a, with, a, with a, like a handle that extends down, and you push it to the left, and you let go, and it stops. And push it to the right, you let go. Oh, that's and, fascinating. Yeah, I could have sworn I'd seen one of these before with this control, and I believe wow, uh, the sequel had a similar setup. It could be wrong on that, but definitely Galaxian had this. Well, obviously yeah. you're looking at it now, and it has complete with the 1979 belly or Midway Manufacturing Company copyright on the panel. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that is really fascinating. But yeah, like I was saying, the purpose of Galaxian, you just shoot a bunch of stuff, and that's it. 
And uh, scoring-wise, well, there are blue Galaxians, purple ones, and red ones, and you get 30, 40, or 50 points, respectively, for shooting each of those. And if you shoot a Galaxian while it is actually diving and kamikazeing towards you, you get double the points. There's also a Galaxian flagship, which I know we have mentioned before in other games. Uh, that is worth 60 points if it's in the main formation. If it's attacking, you get a lot more than double the points, depending on what the situation is. Usually it comes down escorted by two Galaxians. Uh, if it is being escorted by two Galaxians, you get 300 points if you shoot the flagship or if you shoot the escorts first and then shoot the Galaxian flagship, you get 800 points. I was actually able to do that once and only once. That's a very hard thing to that do. That is, especially because you can only have one bullet on the screen at a time. Yeah, um, if there's only one escort with the uh, diving flagship, you get 200 points for destroying the flagship and 150 points if you destroy it while it's diving unescorted. And uh, yeah. The maximum score, as with many Namco games of the time over the next few years, would be 999,990. And if you scored more than that, your score would roll over. And what's interesting is your high, the high score column on the screen will stay at 999,990 if you roll the score over. Because even though you know you score, say, a million four hundred points, the rollover thinks that your current score is actually only 400 and not larger than the 999,600 or whatever you have. So it's basically the high score is going to stay looking like that. So that's what that's all about. And I mentioned before how there's some ROM revisions that allow you to set the uh, dip switches so that the Galaxians will shoot three lasers at a time. Well, there are five different Galaxian ROM versions. Really? Five different ones. Yeah. I don't really know the difference among all of them. I think some of them are just like different brands. Like there's actually a Taito branded ROM. No kidding. Which, Interesting. Which the only, I think the only way you know it's a Taito ROM is if you look at the credits and that's huh. it. But everything else is pretty much identical. So yeah, fair game. You, you, your ship moves only slow, moves slowly, can't wrap around the screen and can only fire one laser at a time while the enemies can move pretty fast and wrap around the screen and fire multiple shots at you. How fair is that? Wow. Oh, by the way, going back to the Galaxian flagship, mm -hmm. uh, it's worth mentioning that it appears in a butt ton of Namco games. It says here in my notes and ton is spelled T O N N E. So it's metric. So it's metric, yeah. Mm, I was so thinking this would be imperial. It'd be yeah. imperial this time. No, that's how common that the, the flagship is. Uh, the flagship is in Rally X, Pac-Man, Galaga, Dig Dug, Super Pac-Man, Pac and Pal. And this is something I didn't know. Apparently, the um, Galaxian flagship is in Pac-Land. I did not know that, but it makes sense that it would be. I'm trying to think at what point it is. I'm sure it is. I've never seen it. I've never seen it in Pac-Land, but apparently, occasionally, we get to that part where the ghost monsters are flying in airplanes above you and dropping miniature golf, ghost monsters on you. Oh, you know what? I think I have seen it. If you jump, up, jump really? up at the right spot, I believe. It might be, but if it drops a Galax... One of them might drop a Galaxian flagship, and if you actually catch it, you get 7,650 points, and I talked about the... Uh, the significance of that in at least one prior episode. It's uh, a, a magic number I for, Yeah, that's a magic number for uh, Namco. Uh, it has to do with like numeric values in their name, I think. But uh, Pac-Mania episode forty-four. 
Oh, might be, might be, but yeah. The uh, Galaxian flagship is in Pac-Mania, Tinkle Pit, Super Xevious, and many other games as well. Yes, we talked about Tinkle Pit again. Yeah, well, we had to because it has the Galaxian flagship, duh. Well, yeah. Yeah, and uh, a fun fact is that Galaxian was inducted into the Library of Congress National Game Registry on April 12, 2009. As well it should be, I guess. So yeah, the United States government recognizes the importance of Galaxian. The United States government recognizes the importance of a Japanese game. Yep, that's absolutely right, yeah. And um, as for home ports, well, everything except the Atari 7800 had it. I'm just going to leave it at that. Well, I don't know, maybe not the Vectrex, maybe not the Tomy Tutor Computer, maybe not the Fairchild Channel F, maybe not the original Odyssey. In fact, definitely not the original Odyssey. Did the Odyssey 2 have it? Did, did Atari Soft know. make games for the Odyssey 2? I don't know. I, you know, I would doubt that they would, given the whole Casey Munchkin situation. I want to think that I had heard that they were going to, but I huh. honestly don't know. I know they did in television, ColecoVision, and all sorts of it's all sorts and manner of home computer. But uh, that was so sad when they closed off Atari Soft. Closed up Atari Soft. That was one of the better things I think Atari did back then. But. Then the crash happens, and now you know the rest of the story. Good night. Wow. And thanks to the video game crash in 1983, the Underground Retrocade has games on the second floor. Yeah, which is actually a something? very good uh, good uh, place to, to divide the eras of games, even though yeah. there wasn't really much of a crash in the arcade. That was more of a home thing, but it's still... It was much more of a home game. It was yeah. still felt home in the arcade, thing. but not as much as home. home. Came, no, home thing, sorry. But uh, so I talked about home ports. Might as well talk about sequels. Um, Galaxian did have a fairly popular sequel. Um, the name of it slips me though. Um, but it was massively popular actually, and it was actually paired off in two. I think two thousand one in a two in one cabinet with Ms. Pac-Man. Uh, episode well, twenty nine of Pie Factory Podcast. Thank you. Oh, actually, it's a three in one actually because the Ms. Pac-Man slash Galaxian sequel machine has Pac-Man in it, playable through an Easter egg. So yeah, that's a three in one. Uh, there was also Gap Plus. If it's I think it's Gap Plus. G A Plus. I don't know how it's Gap pronounced. Uh, there was um, oh god, what the heck was the name of the original sequel to Galaxian? But they stuck an eighty-eight at the end of it for another sequel. Uh, there was Galaxian Three Project Dragoon and Gal- in Galaxian Three Attack of the Zolgear. And both of those, I believe, those were like. Not your typical everyday arcade cabinets. They're, they're, like, they're, they're, like, they're called, I think, what, like theater games yeah. or something? I saw a Galaxian yeah. 3 cabinet one time at uh, Gameworks in Schaumburg. At, uh, That's the kind of place that would have those things. Yeah. Like and, Gameworks uh, I, and maybe Dave and Buster's. Yeah, th- that would be the place I had. I haven't seen seen that. And actually, uh, thinking of which, um, Eugene Jarvis's company just this year released a uh, Space Invaders sequel. Uh, Raw, uh, Raw Thrills introduced a Space Invaders sequel that is a, a similar theater type concept, and um, I haven't yeah, played I it or seen it yet. I think three refers to the number of players that, that yes, can play at the same yeah, time. not that it's the third game. Which the three was kind of in uh, what is that Superscript? That's like Superscript, yes. Just like the movie well, let's Alien. Let's not go through 3. this again. Like the movie Alien Three was. So you know, oh, it's the third. In the, no, it's not. There's actually been a whole metric buttload of sequels. So. Yeah, so, um, Jimmy G. Yes? 
Um, where did you first see and or play Galaxian? Oh, by the way, Star Trek, by the way, I know I saw it on Starcade a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, but I never actually played it until I saw it at Galloping Ghost. Anyway, back to um, Galaxian. Back to where did you first see and or play Galaxian? Honestly, this game is so ubiquitous, I could not tell you exactly where the first place I played it was. Yeah, me too, um, me too. As I was going to rudely interrupt you at the beginning of this one, this game is the laundromat game. This is the game that you saw in every laundromat. I've always I've made Not mention me. about other games, you know, that you would always see in a laundromat. This one was in every laundromat I've ever been in in my life. This is the poster child. This is the prototype. This is the this is the laundromat game. Next time you're in my neighborhood, stop in any laundromat in my neighborhood down my street, you won't see any games at all, including Galaxian. So, well, that shoots you down right there. That's now. This was then, uh, or something close to that. Way back when, this was the ubiquitous laundromat game. That's where you would see it mostly, and that's where I most. And I know I played it there, and can't say I ever saw this like at a Seven Eleven or at a gas station, but you would see it in arcades from time to time. But there's just really nothing really exciting about the cabinet. Uh, the marquee is kind of, eh. and uh, there's just really not a whole heck of a lot exciting about the game. Which it, is crazy, yeah, because I agree. It is not an exciting. It bores me to tears, actually. You know what? It didn't bore me. It frustrated me. The fact that you could only have one shot on the screen at a time, and that you couldn't cancel the shot like you could with the Galaxian sequence in uh, Gorf. Which was episode 37 of Pie Factory, kind of really put a dent in this. I know for a fact that I never got past the first screen in this game, you know, back in my arcade days. I never got past the first screen until I discovered MAME and I would play it. And, and I, you know, I was joking around about this being, you know, in, in the, I don't know, what was it, the American, North United States. Library of Congress being recognized by that. And don't get me wrong, this game does have innovations that were really important, like the uh, the color, you know, the color graphics, you know, without overlays. And in that regard, this was an important game. And what little sound effect it has is pretty nice. Um, again, the explosions. Arcade explosions are some of the most awesome sound effects ever. Oh, yeah. But um, not even from a nostalgic standpoint do I really care much for this game um i yeah, will say is like i will say that uh i kind of like the home ports of this game a lot better uh, i think this game is better on the home consoles than it actually is in the arcade and in fact here's a little thing about the atari uh, 5200 8-bit version of galaxian due to the a programming flaw if a galaxian hits your ship while a bullet while one of your shots is actually still peeking out of the top of your ship it will kill the gla- it will kill the Galaxian and not your ship. Uh, if the ship is in the air and it's not there, it'll kill your ship. However, there is a selection. I can't. I don't remember which selection it is. Which in which the Galaxians don't fire. So you could play a game of Galaxian in which you have to kill all the Galaxians by having them run into your ship as they dive bomb you. Kind of a weird uh, a, a, a weird little glitch in the uh, in the, the Atari 8-bit version of it, but uh, makes for an interesting variation, I would think. Indeed. But going back to what you were saying about how this is a laundromat game, I got to tell you, I've never seen Galaxian anywhere but in an arcade. Really? Really. Now that's interesting. 
Yeah, it was definitely Aladdin's Castle, and I'm sure many other arcades I've been to since. Of course, Galloping Ghost has it. Uh, Underground mm-hmm. Retrocade has it. And uh, I don't believe I ever, ever, ever actually wasted a quarter or token on it. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but every time you've seen a Galaxian cabinet, is it just me or does it seem like it is the ca- one cabinet that's in the worst shape out of all of the rest of the cabinets in the facility? Hmm. Yeah, I guess it could, that could be right. Well, then again, it's like it's white, super old. Well, it's super old. Well, yeah, it's also it's very like, it's white. Like, it's yeah. very white, and Which white means it's is susceptible not susceptible to showing wear and tear. Exactly, and white cabinets. Which let's be honest, I believe the Star Trek one. I know the sit down, uh, uh, the Star Trek sit down wasn't a totally white cabinet. It had a lot of white accoutrements, decorations, I guess, on it. But I believe the stand up is just the typical wood paneled. Uh, Sega arcade cabinets from the time. So, I mean, I can't think of really any other cabinets that were white. Even uh, the Galaxian sequel was not a white cabinet. Rally X. Rally X uh, is, yeah, that was a white cabinet too. And that's another one that really looked like it uh, was not in the best shapes whenever you would see it. Again, white shows off all of the imperfections and it shows the age easier. That's why I'm look like I'm 90 years old when I'm actually 89. So, way back when when these games were originally around, they were always always seemed to be that way. Yeah, and uh, they weren't exactly very um busy games either. They weren't. You'd never see like people like putting their tokens on the monitors saying, "Yeah, no, I got the next wouldn't. game." No, you wouldn't. And one you wouldn't. thing that you forgot to mention uh, when you were talking about did the I, home or ports, or did you just interrupt me before I could mention it? Ooh, ooh, but you briefly went over the home ports, and uh, it was interesting that Galaxian, the arcade game Galaxian, was seventy nine, but it didn't come out for the twenty six hundred to like eighty three. Yeah, yeah. And it was a later uh, a later game. And I've not yet played, I've never played the 2600 Galaxian, and I'll tell you one reason why. Because you don't like Galaxian? Well, besides that. But the real reason I can't play the 2600 version is it has a border. What's up with that? Yeah, that's, I don't understand why they did that, but it. it I, I heard Ferg's episode on it, and, and he had good things to say about it, but man, I just can't. There is a hack. I don't know. There is a hack uh, on Atari Age where they removed the border. Uh, it's Even a Galaxian Arcade. I believe is what it's called, and uh, it's it's a pretty it's it's a it's a pretty good port, and uh, it's amazing they were able to do it. But yeah, the the border just that always kind of like got me. I mean, you can't hit that's kind of inexcusable for this game, and you need to have the black background. You need to look like you're in space, not in a shoebox. And really, I mean, it just seems like a pointless game. The only ex and when I was doing my research, I could see nothing but. A huge, huge, huge praise for Galaxian all over the place. Yeah. And all I could think is, why? And the only explanation I can think of is just simply because of all the firsts. We're talking about people who might be remembering it from when it actually came out in 1979. And that it was a full-color screen with colors built in. And that's the only real advantage I could see to that over, say, Space Invaders or even, even Asteroids, really. And the thing is, like, I, I played Space Invaders for the first time when color games were already the mainstream thing. And mm-hmm. I never really thought one moment for about black and white graphics and the same thing with uh, Asteroids. So I don't know. It just never did anything for me. It's okay. So all I'm doing is shooting things and well, it, uh, maybe I'll survive. Big deal. I mean, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's just the way that 
it's just one shot at a time. And it just, I just couldn't, I just, I just could not do it. I was always getting trapped in the corners. Yeah. I just, I will tell you this. I will tell you this. I never liked the sequel either. The first sequel, but I was, I was on, I had jury duty two days ago duty. And (laughs) I spent a lot of time in the jury room playing this in preparation for the episode on my, uh, my laptop. And, um, just out of curiosity's sake, uh, after I played a few rounds of this, and I was actually able to clear five or six screens, which actually s- surprised the heck out of me, to be quite honest, I decided, hmm, let me see like what's different between this and the sequel. So I played the sequel in MAME, and it actually gave me a better appreciation for the sequel. The that's, sequel that's is what, a much better game than this. That's what Galaxian did for me. It just, you know... Not saying that the sequel is one of my favorite games anytime soon either. But I, it does I have, love the sequel. I, it did make me appreciate. It. It's like okay, you know what? I can kind of see why people would like it. It's almost like the that Galaxian is like an old, you know, steel and glass skyscraper. I mean, it's it's plain and it's not really interesting, but people remember it because it was the first building in town. But then years later, somebody redeveloped it and add some decorative accoutrements and put an elevator in and made the building that much more interesting. So that's what I think the two games are kind of like, in a way. But um, anyway... King of um, analogies over here. <laughs> speaking of analogies, um, let's talk about uh, the scores that people have achieved on Galaxian. Or or we couldn't, we, we could not talk about them. Just let it Then we'd go. have an unbalanced episode and it would feel kind of awkward. And uh, well, my OCD would be thrown already? off. Not in terms of OCD, but it would if we talked about high scores for one game and not the other. So let's talk about high scores for, uh, okay, and you know, just to, to make a full, insist. like, just to make a, a little bit more interesting, let's talk about arcade.com first, Ooh, the tricky. newer of the scoreboard sites. Scoreboard. They actually track two different revisions of Galaxians, one that they call revision a, I'm not quite sure what they mean by that, but for what it's worth, the settings on that one is you get a bonus ship at 7,000 points, uh, I don't know how this guy's name is pronounced, but it, it might be Art Van Vliet or Art Van Fleet. But he scored a million six hundred fifty-three thousand two hundred seventy during Fun Spot Eleven on uh, May twenty-seven, two thousand nine. And Revision B, which gives you a bonus ship every five thousand points, Matt Walters scored one hundred thirty-six thousand eight hundred ten on August eleventh, two thousand seventeen, at Galloping Ghost Arcade. And if we switch over to um, Twin Galaxies, um, I don't remember the date on this. I forgot to write it down. But with the uh, settings for three lives with an extra life at 7,000, David Lynn or Lyne, L-Y-N-E, scored 2,010,000 points. Apparently, he'd been working really, really, really hard for a long time to get the world record on Galaxian. He did it on... It was it was in kind of a custom cabinet, but with a mid, but with an actual midway board on it, so it was acceptable for the track rules. So that was fairly recently. That was in the last few years. I know that for sure. But yeah, two million ten thousand points. How long you got to be playing? Oh yeah, dude. Um, actually, we do have an uh, we do have an addendum for uh, the previous episode. Oh, we do. Yes, we do. Yes. Oh. <laughs> I had talked about Stephen Lucas. Uh, speaking of high scores and. Uh, how he scored like over a million on Thief. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently he heard the episode actually. And he commented somebody, I think on the Galloping Ghost uh, Facebook page, somebody mentioned Thief. And I commented, I said, well, listen to uh, the most recent Pie Factory podcast. We just talked about it. And 
Stephen Lucas heard the episode and he said, oh man, you should have talked to me first because I got, I got the high score over that. It's like, yeah, I know. But uh, And I asked him, how long did it take for uh, for you to get a million points? I think he said it was like three hours to get three million to get a million points on Thief. <laughs> and considering, I think, what did we say the world record was on that? Like nine million or something? Uh-huh. It's like, wow. wow. Yeah. yeah. They, six, they million, six million or nine million or something. It's like, holy crap. Going uh, going back to uh, today's episode anyway, which was, uh, what were we talking about today? Frogger? Uh, oh, no, Galaxian, Galaxian. But yeah, and uh, that's really all I have to contribute about the Galaxian lore. And, and I'm going to be quite honest, and I know, I know people probably shun me for this, and you know, I, I accept that, but I guess part of the reason I don't have much to say is I was never enthusiastic about this game to begin with. Well, most I of the never time, was. Most of the times I played it just because there was really nothing else to play the few times that I would see it. I mean, it's like, it's standing in the corner, play me, play me, please, play me. And, you know, I would feel sorry for the machine and put my quarter in and while my parents yeah. were cleaning my socks while we were on vacation. And I would feel bad for the machine because it just looked so lonely, just sitting in the corner. Oh, one thing worth mentioning, though, is I... There, I don't know how many games were based on, but there are there, there's at least one Pac-Man variation. I don't know. I don't remember if it was a bootleg or just some kind of one-off thing, in which a Galaxian board was used to program the Pac-Man. Really? And that thing looks freaking weird. I mean, it's got the same graphics and everything. It, it just the colors are off and the sounds are bizarre, and it still plays the same way. We should do an episode about Pac-Man hacks. I think that would be a fun episode to do. Oh man! But then again, I've thought many wrong things before too. So yeah, that's true. That's true. But uh, I just I I think there are other games that have been bootlegged on uh, Galaxian hardware. But uh, off the top of my head, I'm not 100 percent sure what uh, my poor research did not include that. So that's it, um, Jimmy G. What? How many continues would you rate Galaxian? Well, I can't totally hate the game. But yeah, I know I'm what not you mean. in love with it. I, it, and I don't really play it. But I do like it on the home consoles a lot better than I do in the arcade. So my rating is going to refl- is is going to go up one continue just because of how much I like the the home ports of this. I don't think there's a bad home port of this game, and even the twenty six hundred with the border uh, is, is still actually a pretty good rendition. Uh, so I'm going to rate Galaxian a two. You know, I want to rate Galaxian a two, but I'm starting to think maybe it's just my bitterness doing that. I I don't know. I I can put possibly be pushed into the three territory, but I don't know. I I, I just don't know. I'm gonna call. I'm just gonna play it safe and say two for now. But yeah, especially because I never. Number one, I never played the. I never actually spent money to play this, other than maybe for like the pay one price, play as long as you want model. Mm-hmm. And in MAME, of course. And and the fact that this game actually made me appreciate another game that I didn't like, I guess I'd have to rate it a two. I'd have to. It's it's not a one, that's for sure. No way. No way it's a one. No, it's not a one, but it's... I don't know, maybe, it's, maybe I should be looking at it in terms of the way I looked at it back then, but even then I wasn't a huge fan of it. So, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I gotta stick with my two. I gotta stick with my two. Yeah, so stick it. I mean, stick with it. Stick with it. Stick yes, it yes, good. That's what I mean. Yes. Just stick it <laughs> yeah. real good. Oh, wait yeah. But uh, anyway, uh, should we um, reveal the theme? Should, yeah. Should we reveal the theme? 
Sure. You want you want to reveal it, or should I reveal it? Yeah, yeah. You know what? Let me reveal the theme this time. All right, uh, uh, gentlemen, ladies, and uh, everybody else listening to Pie Factory Podcast episode sixty five. The theme of today's episode, which we discussed, Galaxian and Star Trek Strategic Operations Simulator, is games in which it's kind of obvious you're controlling really the starship enterprise yeah look at the ship in galaxian and tell me that's not the enterprise yeah i actually i was actually kind of wondering about that but then i took a good look at it i was like oh yeah that's oh, the enterprise yeah, i see it now and let's not uh, let's not forget that when we talked about gorf uh the ship in gorf looked pretty similar to the ship in galaxian and it had that a galaxian and it had a Galaxian scene in the arcade game Gorf, and Gorf was originally supposed to be a tie-in to the first Star Trek movie. That's right. So, yes, good call. So good call. yeah, so that's obviously the Enterprise. the uh, The ship you're piloting in the Star Trek Strategic Operations Simulator, Simulator, yeah, less obvious, but just go with me. It's the Enterprise in that game too. Yeah, yeah. We, we'll just we'll just assume that's what it is, just for uh, gets and shiggles. Gets and shiggles. I have to remember that one. Well, anyway, um, so I guess that's the episode. So I guess uh, we should extend a thank you to people who have supported us. First and foremost, of course, to uh, Steve Tui, who has supported us from the very beginning. Thank you to Steve Tui hey, and Steve-er. Tuiville.com, T-O-U-H-Y-V-I-L-L-E.com. And to those who have kindly sponsored us on Patreon.com, such as Nate Lockhart, Michael D'Angelo, Art Guglielmo, Greg Polander, Rory Coleman, Richard Valdez, Keith Sheehan, Underground Retrocade, Jonas Rulo, and Kyle Etter. And we got two new sponsors Yay. that we're like, we'd like to thank. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for joining these Patreon sponsors. Thank you to Atari Bytes Podcast. Uh, wonderful, wonderful podcast. We'll put Indeed. a link to that in the show notes. And, uh, and to I actually am a Patreon to them. There's one of two. Oh, awesome. Only one of two podcasts that I am Patreon of, which oh, if I really? have more money. What's the other one? Uh, the other one is, uh, hmm, what is that one? It's some game by game podcast. It has an eight and a seven in its name. I can't, I couldn't tell you more about it because I can't really remember. Well, why don't you look up your Patreon account and find out? Well, I'll do. Oh, it's the Atari 7800 homebrew podcast. Oh, that was way oh. off. Oh, okay. And also, thank you to another one of our latest sponsors, Tim Foley. Thank you so much, Tim. So, And you know what? I do believe we do have an episode 66 sometime in the future. 66? Most likely roughly two weeks from now. Roughly, yes. Ruff. So um, we will be talking. Would you like to announce the games that we will be discussing? Sure, why not? Uh, we will talk about Lunar Lander. One of Sean's most favorite games. And Oh, I so can't wait. <laughs> and Red Baron. It's gonna Red be an Baron. interesting Ooh. episode. I what course, could that theme be? Of course, I always say every episode's gonna be interesting, even though they generally aren't. So generally. <sighs> so I guess that's uh Pie Factory Podcasts, and uh this is Sean and a Pan. And this is James G, which I don't remember what I called myself earlier in the episode. I don't know. Uh, I'm Jim. I would call myself, but um, I don't know my own number. Call me. I never really do call uh, myself. Call me, call me any, any time. So. Uh, huh. so, yeah. If you're ready, we can drink the wine. Call me. <clears throat> yeah. So, yeah. We should get a phone number. Bye-bye. Extra side. This episode of the Pie Factory podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. 
Opening and closing theme is the Happy L composed by Sean Courtney. Love theme from Adenda and Arata was composed by Jim Goble. Follow the Pie Factory podcast online via Facebook, on Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or on piefactorypodcast.com. Support the show at patreon.com slash piefactorypodcast. Berwin! <laughs>